Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news, trends, lifestyle, and business. Hey listeners, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. Today is an incredible guest that is on. It's not a long introduction, has an inspiring story, can't wait to ask questions and find out more of their story. Her name is Taylor. And she and her sister form Studio Sisters. And what they have done in the Etsy world is just so dope. They are the 1% ranked Etsy shop. They sell stickers. And in addition to that, they help other creatives sell and grow their business through becoming good at selling and also at building a brand on the Etsy platform. Taylor, she's a former school teacher that turned CEO. She enjoys traveling and she's also a public speaker. So welcome, Taylor, to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I am so excited to be talking to the Crafty Hands Club audience. Absolutely. Just I'm so excited to be here. Good. Good to have you as was stated in the introduction. So first of all, let's talk about the world of Etsy for listeners. Most listeners are familiar with Etsy, know that that is the platform to sell your handmade goods. But Etsy goes a little bit deeper than that. Can you elaborate on the Etsy platform for those who are listening and maybe not be familiar with, with the platform? Of course. Okay. So chances are um, most people listening to this podcast have probably bought something on Etsy, even if they're not sellers. Maybe it's a Christmas gift you bought or craft supplies or something like that. So Etsy is a marketplace for handmade goods, vintage items, and craft supplies. So those are the three categories of things that can be bought and sold on Etsy. Other examples of what a marketplace is are eBay or Amazon. So this is different than your own website. A lot of people confuse things like Etsy and Shopify or Etsy and your own website. But the difference is with your own website, you have to bring all of your own traffic. So imagine if you sell in person, you've got to get every single person to your shop or to your craft booth. Whereas if you're at a big craft market, there are tons and tons of people just walking around, super excited to shop handmade goods. That's how a marketplace works online is the shoppers are already there. And so instead of having to create your own traffic, you put your store on a marketplace like Etsy and their customers shop your shop and all of the other shop owners' businesses on that marketplace. So that's kind of how it works. It is actually a really affordable platform to get started on. 
It's actually the one I recommend. Obviously, I love Etsy. I'm very successful with it, but also it's got a very low startup cost. So it's really easy if you don't have a lot of money or you want to test handmade product on Etsy without spending a lot of money, you're not quite sure what you want to sell yet. It only costs 20 cents on Etsy to list a product and try it, whether that's t-shirts or gifts or baby blankets or paintings, anything like that. It's only 20 cents to list a product. So it can be a really affordable way to get started and much more affordable compared to other types of sites that you could sell on. And Etsy also has grown incredibly in the past couple of years. So the pandemic is the big reason for that. Prior to COVID-19, and we'll say prior to March 2020, I think in 2019, Etsy had around 39 million customers in the year 2019. When 2020 came along and the pandemic came along, that increased the number of shoppers significantly. They more than doubled the number of customers on Etsy for the first time. And by 2021, there were more than 90 million shoppers on Etsy. So while there have been actually an increase in sellers as well, it's the Etsy is actually now the fastest growing shopping platform, e-commerce platform in the entire world. It's even growing faster than Amazon in terms of customers. So I could just basically say there's no better place you could be for your handmade business than Etsy. Wow. I didn't know that it grew faster than Amazon and to be close to 100 million people on the platform. That is definitely drastic growth. I know Etsy have listing fees, as you mentioned, the 20 cents per item that you list. And then off of each transaction that is made, there's a percentage. My question is, does Etsy have a monthly fee? You know how Shopify has its fee, WordPress has its fee, other platforms have their monthly fee. Is that the same for Etsy or does Etsy just mainly do it off of per transaction? Yeah. So that's another amazing thing about Etsy is it's per transaction. There is no monthly fee to use Etsy. So this is another reason why it's super affordable for startups, for new businesses is because like with Shopify, as you mentioned, you will pay, I think their lowest package is like $30 a month. Mm -hmm. And that's whether you make a sale or not, you're going to spend. So in your first year, even if you didn't make a single sale, it's going to cost you more than $300 to pay for their hosting. On Etsy, you're only paying the 20 cents per listing to get your product available. And then you pay only again, when you make a sale, there's a couple of different fees. Etsy has a per transaction fee. Um, you pay a 5% commission to Etsy. That's their fee. And then there's also the payment processing fees. And you can also potentially be paying a, another small percentage if you have ads that you're paying for. So all told, there's some slight variations between what country you're selling in, but all told, most Etsy sellers pay between 10 and 15% for the total number of fees that they have on each sale. For someone who's new to the platform and they've been making items and they decide, okay, I'm going to start an Etsy page, what would they need to do to be seen on Etsy? So first of all, Etsy is really easy to use. If you can 
create a Facebook account, you can create an Etsy shop. It's very easy to get set up. There are a couple of things that really make the difference for sellers that get your products seen by customers. And those things are high quality photos. So if you're not great at product photography, that's something you want to practice and learn. We have a term on Etsy. It's called SEO, which means, which stands for search engine optimization. That sounds kind of scary, but really what that means is in your product listings, you need to make sure that you have the keywords in there that are the same words your customer might use when they're searching Etsy and they're looking for something. So if you're a customer and you're shopping for a Valentine's Day gift for your boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're the customer, you're going to go on Etsy and you're going to search Valentine's Day gift for boyfriend. That's what you're going to put in the search tab. You might be more specific. You might say Valentine's Day gift for boyfriend video games or Star Wars or something. You might try to get more specific. Make sure that your title and your product description have those keywords in there. They need to say, this is a great gift for boyfriends. You need to put Valentine's Day in the keyword tags that Etsy gives you. Gift for boyfriend. All of those things need to, the actual words need to go into your Etsy listing. And it's really not as scary as it sounds, but you want to think like your customer and think what words would my customer use to search for my product? Exactly. Yes. SEO is definitely important, but not to get too much into SEO. (laughs) So your Etsy shop sells stickers, which is popular because you have the cricket machine, you have the silhouettes, you have, you know, just so many different ways of making stickers these days. But what was intriguing was that took a simple item as stickers and not only had good success with it in terms of selling, but to be ranked in that top 1% for your Etsy shop. But before we get into the 1% ranking, what led you and your sister to sell on Etsy versus doing it on maybe Instagram or doing Facebook, building the community, and then going that route and then eventually selling it on your own website? Before I answer that, I want to say that Etsy is not the only way You mentioning these other platforms, there are a lot of really talented, crafty people who are doing really well with Facebook groups, like selling in in Facebook groups. There are people doing really great on Instagram or really great on Pinterest. So it can totally be done in, in different ways. The reason that we chose Etsy, kind of what I mentioned at the beginning was the traffic, the number of people on Etsy. My sister and I both had smaller Etsy shops in the past, several years ago. So we were a little bit familiar with the platform. And it was kind of a thing where we thought, okay, we don't have to build a whole website to just try this. We can just put some listings on Etsy and try this and see what happens. And if it's successful, we'll figure everything else out after that. Like most business owners, that's usually how businesses start. Let's just try to sell this thing and we'll figure everything else out afterwards. So we put our products on Etsy and started getting sales relatively quickly and our shop took off. I will credit most of that to SEO 
And then also it was timing. This is not typical, I think, for most businesses, but we happen to be on Etsy at just the right time for quick growth. And that was the pandemic when so many people got on Etsy to shop for face masks. They were also shopping for a ton of other new stuff that they had never really been on Etsy for before. So that was beneficial to us. And many people end up in the kind of the right place at the right time. Like some people go viral on TikTok. Some people have great word of mouth in their local Facebook groups that help them sort of get going and get started. But Etsy was a good place for us to try um, without too much work to begin with. And then we stuck with it because it just really worked for us. So that would be my advice is find a platform that you like and that you really, it works well for you. I agree. Yeah. Every platform isn't for for everybody. Now you mentioned you and your sister had smaller shops. So it sounded more like side hustles or were those full-time entities? Those were definitely in the side hustle category. I had one that was for fun. When this shop got too big, I stopped doing the other one. But I collect vintage and antique Christmas ornaments and I collect very particular styles and things that I like. So I will go out thrifting as my hobby and look for vintage Christmas ornaments. But sometimes I would find vintage ornaments that were really cool, but not my style. So I would buy them anyway. And I had a vintage shop and so I would resell on Etsy vintage ornaments that weren't quite my style, but I still knew someone else out there would really like them. But that was definitely a side hustle because it was very seasonal. I only sold ornaments from about October to January every year. That is an interesting side hustle. And you'd be surprised at how many people collect different types of holiday ornaments too. Yes. And people are very specific with their collections. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now, because you have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that want to go into business. And some people embrace the side hustle idea and some people don't. The biggest misconception is that most people think you go into your first business and it just blow up, right? But a lot of successful business owners will tell you that they started several businesses that didn't work out before they came across the one business that was successful. So in what ways did does a side hustle prepare you to run a successful business? I think a lot of business education and like podcasts and classes out there skip over because yes, most business owners don't just have the right business the first time. And I think we also think that once someone gets really big, they only run one business. And I think that's also a misconception. I own multiple businesses. Most business owners I know who do it full-time, they don't have just one business. They have a series of side hustles or one business primarily, and then they had a great idea. So they do another one, or maybe one isn't quite providing full-time income yet. So that's why they have a side hustle. So I think that my advice is what you can learn from having that side hustle is do I really like this? Do I see myself doing this in five years? Because the truth is when you try a business out, even if it's making you money, 
if you can't see yourself doing it in five years, it's going to fail. If you don't love it enough or you don't have enough like excitement and motivation to do the work, then it's not going to be the business for you regardless of the money. So I think that the side hustles notion is a really good way to try and experiment and learn. And the other thing is, I think that it should be more normal and be okay for people to say, you know what? I always want this to be my side hustle. I don't want this to be full time. That needs to be okay too. I think it's really easy to get caught up in this notion of, oh, I'm going to make a million dollars online and I'm going to quit my day job. And don't Mm -hmm. get me wrong. I teach people how to do that in my course, (laughs) but I also know there are just as many teachers and stay-at-home moms and people who work day jobs who just want to have that side business because it's fun and it makes them some extra money. And that's okay. Yes. Not everybody sets out to build a seven-figure business or to have millions of followers. You know, you have Some people who do the side hustle just to have some additional income, whether it's to pay off student loans or help send the kid off to college or to pay for the kids' private schools or, you know, whatever the case may be, you know, and that's fine. And we do have to normalize that it's okay for side hustles. We also have to normalize that it's okay to have a business where you generate, you know, maybe 70 or 80,000 or a couple hundred thousand, you know, instead of trying to go for the millions of dollars. Yes. I think there's very little that's shown in between. And there's actually a lot of Etsy sellers, but, you know, we say that we're top 1% ranked and actually around the end of the year in 2021, we actually ended up being top 0.1% rank. So now we're in the top 10th of a percent worldwide on Etsy. But the crazy thing is the gap between us and the next Etsy sellers is extraordinary. There are people making 500,000 a year on Etsy or 300,000. And that's way more than I make. And so it's like important to understand that there's a whole range of like, what does full-time income look like? And that, that could be a lot of different things. And I was going to ask you, is it marked like to get in the percentages as an Etsy seller? Is there income requirement to be in those percentages? And what what is like the minimum income to reach those levels? So it's actually not income based. So I could not tell you what the average threshold is for the top 1% or top 10%. I imagine it's around six figures, but I, I don't know exactly. It could be less than that. It's based on number of sales total. So our actual number fluctuates somewhere between six to 7,000 in terms of like number 6,088 or something worldwide. So it only takes you about 8,000 sales on Etsy to hit the top 1%. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Now, Taylor, you were a former school teacher that (laughs) became a CEO. And in some ways, when you are in charge of the classroom, you work independently, but it's more management, right? Mm -hmm. Versus being a CEO, that's a whole different realm. 
Could you tell listeners the difference between when you were teaching versus now as a CEO? And then what are some things in your teaching experience that you think prepared you on the journey to becoming the CEO? When I was a teacher, I tended to think of things as very time bound, right? Like I need to teach this class today and then that's complete or this semester or, oh, at the end of the school year, I've accomplished that year, that thing. And so it was easy to manage very time bound and boundaries are very clear. And the amount of work that you needed to do is very clear because you grade at the end of the period class semester, and that's all you have. As a business owner and as a CEO, there's a whole lot more that's kind of just big picture up sort of floating around. And so it you never really turn it off. And that's something I am struggling to kind of practice every day is, you know, the time of day when I have to stop working and I have to really work hard to make myself not think about business all the time now. And then I think also there's some similarities like um, when I think about what my customer needs, it's very similar to how I would think about like what a student needs, right? When you're an educator of any kind, you think, okay, how do I, where's my student at right now? And how do I get them from point A to point B? It's the same thing with a customer in a sale. Like, what do they need right now? What are their pain points and their struggles? And then like, how do I get them from that point to the point of understanding they need my product to solve the problem? It's good that you were honest about struggling with that mindset uh, part of it. In terms of, you know, going from having the checklist Mm -hmm. of what to do, then to, you know, big picture items. But sometimes it's not always in the sequential order. You know, it's whatever had the priority at that time. And sometimes things just come up and they can't wait when you are running a business. Exactly. And there are unexpected things that are really It might be out of your control, but if you're the CEO, it's still your problem. I'll give you a really good example. Many handmade businesses, Mm -hmm. ours included, struggled with supply chain issues during the pandemic. And even to this day, sometimes products order, we order like supplies, they take way longer than they're supposed to be, or they never arrive. So we have had to like, we had a big order of vinyl that just never came in. And so we had orders for it and we thought it was going to be delivered and it then it thought it was delayed and then it just never showed up. And so we had ended up having to extend out the customer's processing time for a few customers who'd ordered that particular product and things like that. And like, so it's not your fault, but it's still like something your responsibility to have to address. And we kind of have a running joke, like my sister and I were like, well, it is our castle and the problems are our princesses. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it definitely is. Speaking of supply chain, because that's a big problem and that's for every industry. Does it make you sometimes feel like, okay, I'm ordering months in advance, but have you gotten it to where it's like, okay, I'm going to be ordering this year for next year, just in case something comes up later on down the line. And the reason why I ask that is because sometimes you can have too much inventory and then that becomes a problem. 
So this is part of that struggle of kind of not always knowing what's going to come up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And all of us are having this issue, even like major corporations are having this issue. So we try to order right now a few months in advance. So I'd say probably keeping a stock of supplies of at least three to four months, which can sometimes be a little scary, right? How much you're purchasing in supplies. You're like, oh my goodness, I just spent how much today on printer ink and how much on this? It can feel overwhelming to invest that much in supplies. We have not really had that much of a problem with over ordering, but I think it's because we've gotten to a point where we know what supplies we need and about how much we're going to produce each week and each month. So we feel pretty comfortable about that, but there are definitely businesses where it's like, unfortunately, they're not really sure and they would rather order too much and then have to maybe have a clearance sale or sell off supplies than run out. It's definitely a tricky situation. Yeah, I can only imagine you and your sister also help other Etsy sellers sell their products and and build their brand. Was this something that you started, you all started at the same time as the stickers or this was a service component that was added to the product base? So we started with our products first and we, the Etsy course and Etsy coaching program was not in the original plan. We were just going to make stickers, but with our success and sort of our rise to the top of Etsy's ranking, if you will, people kind of began to notice and other creative friends and other creative businesses who knew us were asking us, can you audit my shop? Can I pay you to do an Etsy shop audit? Or could you teach me how to do what you did? We wanted to say yes, of course, because we wanted to help. And because like we're of the belief that a rising tide lifts all boats and one woman's success is every woman's success. So definitely wanted to help. But we also knew we did not have the time to one-on-one like take on coaching clients. So we built a course instead that is self-paced and it's pre-recorded. So people who join our course and our program can, you know, go through the lessons and watch them as many times as they want. And we have a group community for people to ask questions to us directly in the community too. And so it's just been like an amazing experience to get to work with other Etsy sellers. It's a lot of fun too. Well, when there's a demand, like they say, create something to meet that demand or they're going to go somewhere else, right? Exactly. And there are other Etsy coaches out there. You know, I think that there's different people who can meet different needs. I don't think that our Etsy course is necessarily... For everyone, we're more on the creative side, whereas there are some Etsy coaches that will teach you how to do digitals and printables. So if that's what you're looking for, maybe that's the kind of coach you would want to have. But I do think, as you said, like if there's a need, like find a way to meet it. And that's true for any handmade business. Here's a question, because this is something that is often confused when it comes to marketing, sales, and branding. We heard branding more and more within the last decade. I'll say mm-hmm. that, you know, it took on different meanings, right? From logos, your name, your slogan, your tagline, but branding goes further than that. I mean, don't get it wrong. 
those things are part of a brand, but it's not branding or the brand, (laughs) you know. So can you tell listeners the difference between a brand in terms of building it and selling? Because a lot of times the two are often mixed up, just like sales and marketing gets mixed up. You need both, but there is a difference. Branding. I love everything you said about branding because it's it's the word, as you said, in the past few years, everyone's throwing around and it's so, so important because I think a few years ago, mm-hmm. people thought that if you just had a cute logo and a slogan <laughs> and a picture, somehow that was enough for people to recognize you and buy your products. Mm-hmm. And it's not enough. It's definitely not enough. No. Okay. So to talk about branding versus selling, selling is pretty simple. You are putting a product out there. You are addressing a problem that a specific customer has, not everyone, because if you try to sell to everyone, you will sell to no one Mm because not everybody has the same problem. So you need to have a specific problem you're solving. So let me give a couple of creative examples. People like unique, comfortable t-shirts that fit their style. So some people like really funny, like sarcastic t-shirts. Some people like cutesy quotes, mom, like mom life style t-shirts. College girls want boho t-shirts. So your problem that you would be solving if you are a t-shirt maker is we are solving the problem for the person who's searching for that specific t-shirt type. And so you have the product for sale. It meets a problem. You provide clear information about your product to the customer to convert that eyeball, the customer's eyeballs into a sale. That's pretty straightforward, right? If you have clear Mm -hmm. information and you meet a need, that's how you sell a product. Brand your business goes so much more beyond that because Here's the thing. A few years ago, I think it was a lot easier to run a business online. You and I talked a little bit before we started recording about Etsy a few years ago versus now. And a few years ago, there there wasn't as much competition. There wasn't as much noise online. Mm -hmm. And now there's so much more. I just read this article that said that people are, every hour that they're online, they are shown 62,000 bits of information. I don't know if this is accurate. It was just one study I read. 62,000 bits of information every hour they're online. That's a lot. It's a lot. And so how could they even remember any of that? Even Mm -hmm. if they liked you, how could they possibly remember that? So branding is what you do to be remembered. It's how you stand out and you do this by being authentic, being you, but being hyper consistent in everything you do. So you research, you practice, you find a style and a emotion that you want to present. So maybe you're a very positive brand. Maybe you're a funny, kind of dark, quirky, sarcastic brand. Maybe you're a spiritual brand. Whatever kind of feelings you want your customer to have, Everything needs to have the same consistent feeling to the customer. Your Mm -hmm. photos, your fonts, your styles, 
the words that you use, the kinds of conversations that you have, the things you talk about need to be super consistent. If you're consistent and you show the same kind of authentic self over and over and over, that's your branding because people begin to recognize that. A lot of small businesses I've found are afraid of repetition. They think I'm going to annoy people if I say the same thing over and over. Or they think people will unfollow me or they don't want to see me selling my product. I feel weird being too salesy. They're afraid of repetition. But repetition is the one thing in branding that in 2022, with so much information coming at us, you have to have that. You have to make noise. And someone put it eloquently in terms of distinguishing between the three, marketing, sales, and branding. Marketing and sales are twins. Marketing is the popular twin that gets the attention. Sales is the more technical twin, right? <laughs> to the point. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Forward. And then branding can either be the cousin that people know, you know, people know the backstory. Every time you see them, it's going to be the same repetition. And sometimes it's like, why are they telling the same thing over and over and over again? But you'll never forget it. Exactly. Okay. I will be honest. We post on our social media the exact same things almost every single day. We post 20 <laughs> to 30 Instagram stories a day, and they're just the exact same things every single day. <laughs> <laughs> But they get noticed and people remember those things. And it's just the only way if you're selling online that you manage to actually create loyal, repetitive customers or convince someone to buy the first time is like being consistent. I love the analogy you just gave. Like that was absolutely <laughs> brilliant. Yeah, like when someone explained that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, as that's where I think when you start doing the work in your business and you, everything starts to make sense, right? All the dots starts to connect and you say, oh yeah, now I see what that analogy means to that. And by the way, those Instagram reels are funny. (laughs) (laughs) They are just so funny. I mean, Reels is something that I'm working on. Haven't done too many of them, but I had to figure out a formula in terms of like, what do I want the reels to be for? You yeah, know, that's the, it gets easier once you figure out sort of who am I making them for and what kind of things do I need to repeat, right? Repetitive. Right. Mm-hmm. And once you figure that out, it gets easier to make them. It's definitely not easy when you start. It was not easy when we started. <laughs> I promise for anyone listening, it gets easier. Yeah, the more you do something, the better at it you become. In terms of content, regardless of whatever platform that you're on, I think if you compartmentalize, so let's talk about Instagram, for instance, you have. Instagram video, you have live, you have reels, you have guides, and then you have your stories, and then you have feeds. You don't have to use all of them, but 
your shoe company. So your feet will probably be different people wearing your shoes, right? Your reels could be showing the attitude of, you know, like a before and after with the shoe. The story can be behind the scenes, you know, with shipping, manufacturing, getting a customer email saying, oh my goodness, you know, I never had a pair of shoes this comfortable in over 10 years, right? (laughs) You know, so that's just an example. And then live could be maybe talking to someone in the shoe industry and sharing, um, giving insight to the audience. Yeah. So think about, you know, things that would be similar to your product, but not competing that your audience would like. So if we continue with the shoe example, like here are some style ideas that go with our shoes, or Mm -hmm. here's the new fashion trend. Do you love it or hate it? Tell us about your experience, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Reshare your customer's content, like what you just said about someone, you know, giving the feedback, giving the good review, like repost your customer reviews. Anytime your customers tag you, reshare them. They love that. I think when you begin to block out your content, right, and come up with those different ideas, it gets easier, but it becomes clearer what your branding is sort of when you start doing it a few times, it'll get easier in terms of what you're supposed to be posting. Yeah. So what I'm hearing, be real clear about your brand messaging, because that will help you not just with content, but being comfortable with the type of content that you will post, because otherwise you'll start to kind of overthink it a little bit. And then they'll help when you run ads too, because you can incorporate a part of your brand messaging in there as well. Because when you're raising awareness about your business, that's not the time to be selling. You know, you have to, you know, communicate some of that brand message, some of the mission and the vision, the why story. You know, people want to know what they're buying into because as you stated earlier, they're not buying the logos and the the taglines. They're cute, but no one cares about that but they are buying into the person that's behind that. Most likely, I will say 95% of the small businesses that I have worked with, that I have coached, their target customer is someone very similar to themselves or somebody in their family. So chances are your story is similar to your customer story. Your emotions and feelings are similar to their feelings. And so they Mm -hmm. want to know that because they feel like they can identify with you. And so therefore they're going to support you. Oh yeah. Uh, Most definitely. Now with the teaching, I know it's pre-recorded. It's accessible at any, any given time. Will you be adding some new courses for XC sellers? And then what level can they be just a beginner or someone who has a few sales and want to get to the next level, what's your target in terms of who your courses are for? Our main Etsy course, it's called Dream Create Sell. Most of our students who come into that already have Etsy shops and a few sales, but they're like, 
I'm not getting as many sales as I want. I'm not getting the traffic. So I want to learn how to do that. But we do include an Etsy foundations training. So there are some people who come into our course and say, I don't have an Etsy shop yet, but I've been planning to start. So I want to get the course. So I start with the best possible foundation. So we have that in there. So if they've never done Etsy, but they want to start, you can definitely do that within that course. Going forward um, this year, we're actually going to be working on a video content for handmade businesses, like Reels short-term video course, because Etsy is rolling out a Reels, Instagram Reels type feature like TikTok or Reels. They're beta testing it right now. There are very few sellers who have access to it right now, but it's Mm -hmm. coming because Etsy's having to compete with the fact that you can now shop on Instagram. And so they want to increase the amount of time customers stay on the app, the Etsy app. So they're adding video, more and more video for sellers. So we'll be working on a course for this later in the year. I think just going on with more specific types of seller education. And that being said, our Etsy course, we do also update that course. So when Etsy makes a change to their policies or algorithms, they just made a small one a couple of weeks ago. Um, we add those additional training videos into our course for our existing students. And that's just included. They don't pay extra. That sounds really good. I just hear that passion, you know, that true concern as you talk about it and as you talked about your journey. So I'm sure the students have gained so much value in these courses because you're very knowledgeable about the Etsy platform. You keep up with the trends and so forth. And that is not just the podcast interview, but that's been on the Instagram feeds a lot. It's always an update that you have on things that are going on with Etsy. We share a lot of free content on our Instagram. So if you're interested in Etsy, come find us on Instagram. Whether you are a paid student in our course or not, um, we do want you to be, to be successful. I think that it helps all of us if we are all successful with handmade businesses and creative businesses. Like It only benefits all of us for every one of us to do well. So that's why we share so much like free, helpful content and helpful tips on our social media too. Someone said, you don't have to spend money with me to get value. And you all take the same approach as well. Now, where can listeners find you on social media? And if they want to go further and do your, do your course, where can they go for that? Well, you can come hang out with us on Instagram or Facebook, but we hang out on Instagram at Shop Studio Sisters. That is also our website, shopstudiosisters.com. So it's really easy. Same thing. And we have an Etsy podcast too. It's called the Studio Sisters Podcast, and you can find it on Apple or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now, what's the frequency of the podcast episodes? Are they weekly, bi-weekly? We have been up to this point. Last year, we released two seasons and we were weekly. Season three starts in February and we're actually going bi-weekly starting in February. 
Okay. And I will list the uh, social media information in this podcast as well in the description area so that listeners can access it directly. So that information is going to be provided. Well, Taylor, that wraps up our podcast interview. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest. It was a pleasure listening to you. You had just shared so much information. Anyone that's listening that didn't have an idea of Etsy or really know how it works, they got a couple things or two in addition to creating content based on some examples. Now, before we close out, what are three surprising facts that people will be surprised to know about you? Let's see. I am actually allergic to wheat, wheat flour. So I've been gluten-free for eight years. I haven't had any of the basic, you know, food that Americans eat in like eight years. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But I do a lot of gluten-free baking at home. And fact number two, I love to travel. So I've been to about 20 countries. Oh, wow. Let's see. Fact number three. And this will be, I'll share this fact with my sister because we own the business together. She and I used to be on a gymnastics acrobatic team (laughs) and we were on a unicycling team. We both rode unicycles on a team and we performed in shows on our unicycles. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's actually impressive. Like I never met a unicyclist. (laughs) I mean... We see them at the circus. That's it. (laughs) (laughs) It's really, really funny. It's not something that you come across very often. (laughs) And somehow I forget, you know, it's in my past. It was, you know, when I was a kid and I was in high school and stuff. And so once in a while, I'll mention it and people just look at me like, what? (laughs) Well, you know what? That helps you being balanced as a CEO because you can balance a one-wheel bicycle. There we go. <laughs> I like it. So there you have it. See, those little small steps in life lead you to where you are today. I love it. Again, Taylor, thank you so much. Listeners, you have listened to another great episode of Crafty Hands Club Magazine podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, go ahead and share this episode. Be sure to tag Crafty Hands Club Mag and use the hashtag CHC Podcast and Crafty Hands Club as you are sharing a screenshot of today's episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tune in next week for another great episode as well.